Dave, um, thanks for joining us again. Second time on Tal as well. Um, so this time, uh, because we're in the midst of a global pandemic, I thought it would be a good idea to talk about uh, online learning and uh, maybe talk about different uh, practical approaches to doing online learning and maybe talk about a little bit about generally. I suppose I could begin by asking you about the difference between immediate and immediate teaching. I mean, because the last time you were on the podcast, we were talking about mm. sort of pedagogy and you were, uh, I think what we discussed was the idea that uh, sort of a good pedagogical encounter in some way has to be an event. But mm. now, uh, so the, yeah, so face to face teaching. It's present, you know, it's embodied, it's immediate, whereas online teaching is in some way mediate. It's mediated by, well, media. And uh, Do you think that's a, a fair way of thinking about it or do you think that's a useful distinction? I think it's a useful starting point for thinking about it. Um, I think there are quite a lot of things, and we'll perhaps discuss some of these, that are that overlap between face-to-face teaching and remote and online teaching and various forms of that. But I think there are things that are different about it as well that we'll we'll kind of get to. So yes, it is more mediated, but even in a face-to-face situation, it's kind of mediated by cultural expectations about appearance and about what educational practices and things. So there are different sets of socio-cultural expectations on online teaching with there are to face-to-face teachings. And there are technical mediations as well. So I think the differences between them are partly to do with what the medium brings into that, what the, the, the limitations of the form and things bring into it, but also what expectations we as both tutors and students bring to our use of technology. Technology is not merely the kind of wires and cables, but the kind of socially constructed aspects around the use of technology will have a real impact on how, and I think people start to see this already, on how um, their behaviours shift in the kind of distance context. Okay, so what type of uh, behavioural shifts, say, could we expect in an online environment? Yeah, I think it depends what kind of thing we do when we meet online environment, because I think that's that's perhaps where we might start in some sense, is that there's not just one way of doing things. There's not like one way of doing it, that, and then a bunch of different tools that you choose from, whichever is most inexpensive or available. And there, are, there are a variety of different tools that we might use to um, do that, sure. But actually, what I think some people, when they've leapt into this remote teaching, when a university announced we're moving to online teaching because of um, closed campus because of the virus, a lot of people have made an assumption, perhaps, that what we need to do is to replicate as closely as possible the lecture experience. But that isn't necessarily the same. So depending on what medium or what kind of option we go with, it will influence what kind of behavioural shifts you refer to. Um, so I think the, the common presumption amongst people who have not done much online teaching is that we replicate it straight away by having it as a broadcast model. You know, So a very a rather conservative pedagogy of a lecture is it's a broadcast. It's somebody standing at the front broadcasting out to the many people sat there. Not that different from a broadcast model of, say, um, a television programme. You know, a kind of newsreader sits in a studio and tells people things and the people sat in front of their TVs. So if you've got that kind of model of face-to-face pedagogy, you might well presume that an online pedagogy is just a shifted version of that. Instead of you being in the classroom, you're in your kitchen or wherever. 
you might be you're in, um, you're in a kind of house and your students are in front of their screens rather than sat in rows and there's no real difference i think even if we have that rather kind of limited conservative pedagogical approach to uh, a kind of broadcast model of education even if we had that there'd be a different shift um, a different kind of behaviors where the live event is somewhat mediated differently but of course what this is also an opportunity i guess for people to reflect on the fact that that's not how many of us really teach anyway not only even when we do say broadcast a big lecture it's much more interactive so even when i was in a room say if i was teaching 60 students in a lecture type setting and i was walking back and forth pontificating about philosophy and saying wise words and various things this is what happens um, i would also be i hope reading the room a little bit in the sense that anyone who's involved in a kind of live performance would notice whether people were paying the slightest attention whether it was getting whether things would go whether they were all looking at me deeply confused or some of them are nodding and were kind of engaging so there's a kind of a whole bunch of subtle interactions we engage with without necessarily even noticing that allow us to adjust our pacing to think look they're really not getting that topic i'm gonna have to go back over and give a couple more examples even so therefore when you're just doing a lecture there's all that stuff that is happening in a face-to-face context is taken out in an online context so if i when i've done the past online broadcast type lecture models sometimes when i've been traveling my previous institution i would go back and still teach my class while i was away and in that, I think that means that you have to do, so if you've got a chat box running as well as you, your video you're telling everybody through, you have to do activities quite often to check people are paying attention, check people are with you, check people you, um, you're not losing people. Even if it's giving everyone in the class two minutes to write one sentence to summarize, even if it's really quite straightforward, but it stops them kind of drifting off. But it also gives you uh, at least a partial replacement for some of that face-to-face feedback you get in the kind of more, the more embodied context. I think we're only talking about one very particular type of online learning Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and that is um, live events. So that seems to be a lot of the debate that's going on at the moment. Uh, so we're all grappling with this at the moment. Already, I would imagine a lot of our colleagues would have been using versions of online learning like uh, virtual learning rooms like you know blackboard or moodle uh, or now or whatever but i suppose what i've been seeing is there is a debate surrounding the difference between uh, synchronous and uh, asynchronous online learning and that might be a useful way to help us uh, think about different styles of uh, online learning because there seems to be a bit of um, a debate i see lots of uh, you know friends on social media and colleagues saying you know synchronous is much better because people are present and it's live and i guess you said they can replicate yes. the the on campus experience and other people are saying no asynchronous is better because they are well there's a variety of reasons because you know it's yeah. With synchronous, with synchronous learning, you know, there might be um, there might be logistical problems, or people might have bandwidth, or people might be in different time zones, or whatever. So I suppose that's that's roughly a good place to think about different styles of online yeah. learning to set to sync or not to sync, Dave. Well, absolutely. I think that the model I was talking about absolutely is very much a synchronous model where everything's happening at once. There's a live event; everyone dials in and watches it. The halfway house for some people is making sure that any live events are completely recorded and they can be reviewed. Of this sort, um, and I, I've, you know, there are there is the tendency for many of us who've talked for a few years to think of the live event as the thing in itself, as it were, and everything else around it is packaging. So we think of the virtual learning environment with its supporting readings, the prep work that students do before class, looking at some materials, doing questions. So everything else is kind of the before and after, the thing itself, the teaching. So we end up with this kind of philosophically, this kind of 
you know, ontological distinction, if you want, between the teaching itself, the live thing, and then all the peripheral stuff which supports that and makes that more valuable. And I think anyone who's really thinks a lot about how people learn is finds that problematic. Anyway, but thinking about it in this context helps us think that it's much more problematic. So we may want to think that we may want to have a synchronous element within our practice for some students, uh, but we need to take into account that it won't always work. It won't always work for people and all those things. And one of the other things that's useful about asynchronous learning that I've certainly found, where it isn't a live event, where you put a set of materials up and people interact with them in a variety of ways. So um, I guess an example of an asynchronous thing would be a chat forum where people go and post on it over 48 hours. So like a discussion board or something like that? Yeah, a discussion board rather than the live chat. So, yeah, so a synchronous live chat, everyone's talking in the one-hour slot, um, whereas an asynchronous version would be, I'd say, a more, an old-fashioned discussion board. But that allows people um, time to go and think. It allows um, people in different time zones to access it in different ways. There are a lot of benefits to that. And I've seen also mentioned um, on social media and the like itself, people worrying about students' anxiety and that this is a very stressful time for lots of people. So there might be times when they're not feeling up to engaging it. If their only chance to learn the thing is that one hour a week, and that's an hour they're not having a great hour, mm. then they've lost it. Uh, also, people are, because of things like closure of schools, changes of services, people have different and complex caring responsibilities. So they might normally be free at Monday on two o'clock. All of a sudden, they've got a child at home, they've got a relative who they need to provide food to and drive to, whatever it might be. Um, so we can't necessarily rely on the live event in all sorts of sort of external ways that are unique to the situation. So I think it might be arguable that we might still have some hankering after a live event, um, and there might be some benefits to that, but that needs to be part of a kind of broader strategy for the program, of course, for whatever kind of learning would happen. Um, and not to think of that if someone doesn't make the live event, they miss the thing itself, the main thing. So the asynchronous things you can do is absolutely is partly about um, things like discussion boards, but if you, you can still have things like bits of video they just don't have to be live. There's nothing stopping people looking to their homes from making a whole series of short five-minute bits of video and place them on the, the Moodle, Blackboard, um, whatever, uh, VLE site that you're using. And that also allows people who've got rather limited bandwidth to just access the elements they want to. Or download uh, it, or yeah. Actually, well, maybe if they're in a position where they've got a bunch of Wi-Fi, they can download those files and then if they're off-site later or on another different location, whatever it might be, they've then got that to look at. So I think it's about thinking, how can we kind of bring some of the benefits of that live event, like a short bit of video, uh, and link it then with sort of asynchronous things where people have to all make a response to two of the points in the short video over a 48-hour period. And then the tutor can kind of hold back on that and then write some kind of response to it. And set some more tasks. So, in your experience, then, uh, what do you think would be good examples of asynchronous online learning? Well, I think one well, the problem the problem many of us worry about is having the students be too passive in you know, online learning generally, and it looks like basically we just dump stuff into their brains via the internet. <laughs> yeah. We're sat with our great wisdom in the, in our kitchen, and we dump our you know down the tubes directly into their heads. And most is really on reflection, think that that doesn't ever happen. It's not how I learn. Um, I've been trying to learn Spanish like that for about ten years. And I, I still speak both. <laughs> uh, so I only really learn it when I'm actually forced to engage in the more challenging, painful work of talking to people in Spanish. 
Yeah, things. So we know that you know, there's lots of evidence about kind of how active learning operates and how effective that is in lots of ways. So I think what we want to do is to find activities which aren't just giving students things to read, aren't just giving them things to watch, but making them not only just do stuff, but engage with either ourselves or with each other. I think one of the great concerns at the moment for people who are kind of self-isolating um, in a way is the sense of isolation. So I think what would work well in the current context is getting students to talk to each other, giving students tasks, asynchronous tasks, say, saying, you know, by next Wednesday, I would like this group to prepare you know, a PowerPoint with audio recording over the top, whatever. I would like this group to prepare that. And the group has to communicate with each other using whatever tools, be it WhatsApp, be it um, Microsoft Teams or whatever. Um, it might be to produce a bit of content they can put it on google drive and all share it and edit it collectively edit it at the same time but that i think gives them a connection with each other and then it also gives them an output for the other students to watch and view so you could easily if you're doing it just thinking of the, you know to the work you and i are involved in seeing students who are studying philosophy you could give them a journal article a bunch of third year students and say look you know there's, there's nine pages of this there's nine groups of three students I want you want to prepare a kind of a summary of that page. What's what are, what are they talking about in this? What's going on? Um, and I'll give them some options around how to produce it, some bits of audio, some bits of PowerPoint, whatever. And then at the end of that, the group has got a a whole summary of the whole piece that they've all collectively produced as a team. So I think you know you can almost end up with kind of especially if it's unassessed and therefore it doesn't feel like high stakes. You've got some sense in which they are feeling they're kind of they all feel they're kind of doing something collectively that's of value that they all get to benefit from retaining at the end rather than just make work, you're just making work up because you don't know what else to do. Yes, yeah, so it sounds like some good uh, Deweyan uh, pedagogy there that uh, the best form of uh, learning is uh, task-based uh, learning. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also the thing about that is that one of the problems of asynchronous learning for some people is that it's too open and you know, just access stuff when you feel like it, have a bit of a look when you think, maybe make a couple of comments. It doesn't feel very structured. Whereas a live event is, you know, exactly where the boundaries are around it. So I think more so perhaps than even in the classroom, structuring people's activity, making it very clear what people have to do, when exactly, really helps with active active learning. There was a whole bunch of things written earlier this year, I think it's maybe from Elon University, about the effect of much more structure in face-to-face seminars having a really noticeably good effect on inclusivity. The people tend to it tends to close various attainment gaps when you structured seminar activities in classrooms much more. And I was really struck by that anyway, thinking that we might when when I was a student, you remember, remember back in the, in the previous century or two, mm-hmm. um, when I was a student, some of my philosophy lecturers would give us an hour lecture um, from memory, which meant just making it up. They would talk about kind of, um, <laughs> uh, uh, kind of Sartre. Our, or our secret is out, Tim. <laughs> yeah, they would smoke at the front and talk about Sartre and wonder about, and then they would kind of put their cigarette at the end of the kind of hour and say, okay, we've got an hour now. Um, any questions? No, good. And they'd be off to the pub. Um, but it Those were the days. That, yeah, you can't get away with such a, you know, smoking in the classroom. But even now, I think there's still some tutors in some university contexts who would have a not dissimilar approach to seminars. So we've all done the reading, what do you think? Rather than having much more structure. So I think many of us were trying to encourage colleagues to use more structure in seminars in a face-to-face context anyway. Um, and you know, people can argue about how much of that is too much. Some tutors thought it was an acceptable insult, I think, to say, refer to that kind of activity as too much like school, it's too schooly. Well, I'm not sure that's actually the insult you think it is. Um, well, it's the, uh, I suppose, David, it's the old fear of uh, 
rote learning as yeah, rote Absolutely. learning as 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 a uh, not really useful for generating uh, productive learning encounters. Yeah, absolutely. In a sense, you would want very structured, say, similar activities to also have lots of opportunity for being creative and would not, in a sense, be in many ways wouldn't be rote learning, and that would be about it being student led a lot of the time. But you know, having more, so the kind of work I've been doing more recently has been I'm slightly more structured to those like, to allow everybody's voice to be heard in a variety of ways and able to understand what it is they're meant to be doing things. So when we move that to online, I think we can see how the benefit of it. And certainly my experience of online teaching has been that students will eventually all join in. Sometimes they're very quiet initially. You have a group where nobody engages for ages. But I think the more structure you can place into, into interactive into into interactive activities, the more you get engagement. But I think that can work for asynchronous as well. So it's not just for a live session where you give them five minutes to write a sentence or all of them generate a question in a 10-minute block or whatever. But for asynchronous thing, you can say, okay, it's asynchronous. Well, that doesn't mean it's at any time. You might say, really, this is going to be a three-day activity. It's actually going to take you an hour or one or two hours, but at some point during the next three days, you will all contribute two hours worth of interaction with it and be quite specific about what you would expect them to do for how long. So rather than saying, I'd like you all to write a reaction to the, to what is it like to be a bat? Somebody came to her, the, the Nagel paper. Rather than saying, I'd like you all to react to it. Because some students might write 10 pages. Some write, might write a paragraph. It's be really specific. What are you asking them to react to? How, for how long? How much time do you expect them to expect to read another thing? So I think given that they're not there to ask you questions, sometimes uh, and that they may not want to ask you questions particularly if it's not a, it's a public forum they, they can see each other's answers and that specificity saves them from feeling stupid or they don't understand so say very clearly i'd like a paragraph each on this one idea and, and that mm-hmm. is in a sense rote learning it requires kind of input from them but being i think in my experience as a student as well as being maximally clear with people what the expectation is, what you want from them, yeah. what the load, so, of, the load on them is. So specifics are going to be really important in this new environment that we are in, yeah, where I think all universities just, are delivering online learning. Absolutely. I think students and staff, many of us are feeling very um, dislocated in this context because we can't do our normal stuff. Some people sitting at home is their normal stuff. Um, but many of us... Um, we can't engage our normal daily activities. Everyone's feeling kind of ill at ease in a whole variety of ways. And many of those people might be feeling a bit adrift and at sea and that they're, you know, people are saying, well, I'm still at work, but I don't know what day it is in quite the same way. Maybe it's that period between New Year and Christmas where people lose track of the day. So I think in that context of people, the days kind of merge into each other where people aren't able to use the normal patterns of routine and things to regulate their lives, which many of us rely on. It's very good for many people's mental health and things. Is that well, the learning stuff we're going to do with them is a chance to introduce some real structure. Um, anyway, so I think it's, it's beneficial in a variety of ways. But I think we also need to think that if we're going to have a to take seriously student learning in this context, we're not just doing it because we don't want them to complain about not having their what they're paid for. We actually really care about this actually working. It needs to be really goal based. We need to think what we we need to think about, you know, all those things we normally talk about like learning outcomes and what it is that by the end of this course students will have got. I think, okay, that's what we're going to ask us to we're going to have to think back through a series of steps and sessions and think exactly how we're going to achieve this for, for students who we're not going to see in person, who we're not going to necessarily talk to on the phone individually. You know, the scope, scope and scale of things maybe that make that impossible. So I think structure is something that gives people a bit of a gift, both to the tutor and the students anyway, 
in the sort of current context of feeling um, so discombobulated by the kind of routine of life being thrown around in all sorts of ways. Um, but also from a kind of pedagogical point of view, I think that real clear structure of how to engage with that topic in depth and how to work through them is going to be greater than we did in the face-to-face context even though I'm quite an advocate of more of it in a face-to-face context anyway. In your experience, do you think that there is, well, the question is, I'd be interested in hearing you uh, talk about is uh, disciplinary specifics. In your experience, uh, how mindful should we be of our different disciplines? I suppose colleagues will know what's best for their discipline, but I I used to work for the Open University and uh, I'm I remember perhaps apocryphal stories, but I'm pretty sure they're true. But back when the Open University started in the 60s and, you know, they were leading online learning or, well, you know, they're leading distance learning at least back then. You know, there were stories of them, you know, for their science students sending out like uh, kidneys live in the post and stuff like that uh, so that they could practice dissection. Uh, So I'm I'm, I'm just wondering about uh, how we can negotiate or nuance the disciplinary differences when we're thinking about uh, well say asynchronous learning for now yeah well i think there's been quite a lot of discussion of that uh, amongst colleagues so groups like the association for learning technology and they kind of online listen and things have been talk- talking the last few days about maths for example so lots of these groups have been talking about the ways in which different disciplines require things so in a sense the kind of disciplines that you and i are involved in say philosophy the sort of religion things this sort are quite discursive yeah and here's so a pdf we, <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely well listen to this four hour recording of me talking and uh, you know obviously uh, fascinating <laughs> oh sounds great <laughs> yeah absolutely. it's available at premium rates so there is that kind of um discursive type of discipline we can do but then i think when we're thinking about the hard sciences I don't think it's put in the right context we're sending medical medical samples to the post at the moment. Um <laughs> get so well. But of course we've moved on the sense from the very early OU days in that we can now then things have like broadcast, live broadcasts and things like that, or video recording. If you've got some tools in some of the kind of hard sciences, they'll create things like virtual experiments, bits of software where they can kind of create interactive things where you could dissect a, a kidney virtually. I mean, yeah. The thing is that those kind of things, to be any good, can't be written in an afternoon. They normally require some technical skill and disciplinary knowledge and probably access to a kidney to record it, or at least a virtual context. So I think I think the hard sciences have got a lot of, a lot of work to do. Because we can, you know, as long as we can facilitate a means by which we can converse with our students, we can do quite a lot. You know, if, if I've given some of my students a sample from a PDF and some time and some structured questions, we can come back together and talk for a few hours and everyone can walk away um, having had a really interesting experience, a useful learning experience. A lot of the hard sciences rely on people being able to access experimental experiments. For example, that's quite hard. Nonetheless, even those subjects, an awful lot of their work is also based on data analysis. So I think there are things people can do. People in, say, in the asynchronous context need to record things they're made to model things. They're into kind of get people doing more traditional research skills on topics of by going and looking at um, papers. I've noticed during the current issue a number of publishers making access to their materials less restricted than usual, and making more of their um, normally paywalled resources open to students. So um, students in say medical areas and things of this sort will be able to access research materials more easily from home than they might normally be able to do. So they're probably research-based tasks that the hard sciences can set, which at least in the short term can stand instead for some of their kind of more experimental physical 
interactions. I think you lose something by doing that, but I think discipline, disciplinary experts will work out some good, you know, I think we can learn how kind of creative um, university lecturers are. They're normally really, and normally, people are normally obsessed with their subject. That's why they've ended up doing this thankless but worthwhile task um, when they're working at university. Um, it's because they're really, really, really obsessed with whatever it might be. You know, ridiculous, pointless German philosophy, whatever it might be. Um, so they will probably be really well engaged with, they just often need some kind of ideas to help them get started, talking to people about how you might do it. And then normally people run with it and come up with creative things you've never thought of. What has been gained by uh, these online uh, delivery formats, whatever they are, whether they're asynchronous, whether they're you know recording podcasts or making vidcasts? What, in your experience and in terms of your expertise, what where do you see benefits for uh, for colleagues and for students? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go kind of biblical and start with the last thing. Um, so I think starting with the um, student side of it. I think what students have sometimes lacked in the past is um, the ability to access materials in a more stop-start way on their own schedule. This has been particularly problematic for people who come for come to university with, say, specific learning difficulties or other responsibilities that meant they've missed sessions. So one of the consequences of this type of learning, which we, I hope will have a kind of afterburn effect and we'll see more of, is providing more asynchronous content. So um, if students uh, don't get it that minute when the lecturer says it, they will have other opportunities. And they might be choosing short video summaries, it might be the lecture recording, it might be the variety of this sort. But therefore, students having a variety of opportunities to learn the thing that they need to learn before they can move on with the subject and with their kind of understanding. I think that's really useful. I think giving students, therefore, being able to access material in a range of formats and presented in a variety of different ways, um, giving them say, these multiple learning opportunities, that's going to really um, going to have benefits for students. Some tutors are already doing that. There's a lot of the sector where people are starting to move that way anyway. This is meant that it's more blanket provision. Um, for staff, thank you about that. I know I've been aware that many university staff are really anxious during this period, not merely just because of kind of health concerns and things of this sort, but also about what will this mean for the future of the universities and the future of me as a teacher? Will, will, I, will we start to sort of close university campuses down anyway to save money, sell off buildings in high-value locations, uh, and we will have to teach in our kitchens forever? I don't see Ho Holographs, that David, holographs. <laughs> yeah. Holograms, holograms rather, yeah, not holographs, holograms. Holograms, yes, weird holograms. It's oddly kind of, seems oddly pointless. When you can, what, what, I can't see what the benefit of a video is. But anyway, that's a, that's a lack of imagination on my part. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just thinking teaching robots that have just my face skinned over the front seems completely fine. And also they can throw things and all sorts. And there's an actual the hologram can't throw things. How is, anyway, how is, how is that lecture so charming? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is a bit of software, it's a subroutine. But I think people, so people are concerned about that. What I think is interesting is what people are learning at the moment. I think a lot of people are having to learn a lot really fast, they're finding it really challenging. Um, I think some universities are probably doing better than others at supporting those colleagues with, with tools and online training and online resources and things. A lot of people, I think, will find through necessity that they are reconsidering how they teach anyway. So maybe when people go back to face-to-face -face teaching, I think there's lots of reasons why people will go back to face-to-face -face teaching when it's available. And because I think the actual live event or bit of it is partly what lots of people do. You know, there are lots of ways people could have done online learning. 
instead of physically going to universities. And they're still going. Students still want to physically move to a different city and be in the room with someone who's as madly passionate about their subject as they are. Um, that's something that really appealed. The idea of that is really kind of powerful and resonant with them. They want to kind of sit and, and kind of conversation with them. So I think there is that. But also I think it will allow staff to consider if I've got to deliver learning about various topics, is the face-to-face -face environment always the best way for everything? So rather than seeing all the other elements of the learning experience, we call that, as, as just padding around the thing itself, the live delivery, uh, they might start to think actually that the various components all have different roles to play. So the video, bit of video recording, um, some interactive online activities in the Moodle site, excuse me, or whatever it might be, and the live experience, all have equal value and are not just compliment, not just kind of padding to them standing up and talking. Sure. And so staff might get, and also hopefully staff, at least some staff will get more competence with those things and start to find, and I think this often happens with kind of creative and intelligent people is that they, they suddenly start using things in ways that weren't designed to be used. Mm. So you will see, I think you will see a lot of people kind of using online learning tools in ways that they weren't, their, their creators didn't imagine they might use them that way. And I think that'll be interesting to see what kind of um, lecturers, how much they start to mess about with, in a sense. I think most of us have been with technology, involved with technology a long time, have learned most of what we've learned through messing about with stuff and trying to break it and then seeing if we can put it back together again. So I think we'll see a lot of that with, uh, with, with the kind of standard tools, people pushing the limits of what they can do, or just using them in different ways. Yeah, I suppose in terms of the, that's the benefits, I suppose in terms of the, the, the they're the pros, in terms of the cons, I suppose. Yeah. What strikes me as quite commonsensical, I mean, there's, you know, there could be logis logistical problems around scheduling, there could be, you know, sort of online learning, whether synchronous or asynchronous, to limit social interaction among students. I suppose, well, this might be a useful segue to talk about more synchronous forms of online learning, but uh, student motivation might be uh, difficult to, uh, to to gauge. As you said already, you know, when you're in a class, you can you can you can you can always pick out the person who's um, you know looking at their crotch <laughs> while all, yeah. clearly on their telephone, uh, or you know people are fidgeting or getting bored or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So I think there are a number of real dangers and risks uh, about doing this. Why we haven't well, some of the reasons we haven't already just all given up anyway and moved to online. Um, if it was that good, we'd have done it anyway. So I think what a lot of us get from being on the university campus is we get a social interaction, a level of social interaction that's really important. I, I think, like many other people, I really like going to work. Um, I like Jesus. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not going there for free. Don't look at that. Out. But um, there are bits that I like in this. So I don't know. But the one thing I do like is the social interaction. I think people often don't admit how much they like knowing the people who work in all elements of the institution and having relationships with them and talking to them. And of course, the, the traditional British way of that is using the opportunity to complain about everything with a whole range of people all day long. And so the opportunity losing that is disastrous. How can we complain to the security staff and then the shop staff and the library staff about how awful it is to be there? Um, so I think there's, there's a whole bunch of social stuff that we don't even notice that we're engaged in until we're not having the opportunity to do so. So I think that, and that can really affect our motivation. It can really affect how good people feel about themselves or about their kind of context. And often in a more when it's working well in the student context, students support each other. They motivate each other. Yeah, if you have a good kind of culture, I guess, in your kind of classes, they will kind of constantly boot each other's motivation, especially one of them's feeling a bit low or not really what it's all about. Or maybe I don't understand, maybe I'm stupid. And the students say, no, we didn't understand it either. No one understands it. It's Hegel. It's fine. Or whatever. You lose some of that. 
So there's a lot, I think, of the motivation and a lot of the kind of, which in the short term we don't lose. The interesting thing will be in the kind of current context to see how do we manage to keep motivation over a long period. You know? So at the moment, many students want to be engaged with the, um, the novelty of online teaching and seeing their lecturer's kitchen or whatever, or cat or whatever it might be, being involved in class. But I think over time, we're going to have to struggle to think, how can we keep students' motivation up? How can we keep students engaged over a period of time? And I think that's going to be challenging. I think that will often will be around a mix of synchronous and asynchronous. So I think one of the benefits of, of the synchronous aspect, the live event aspect, is it's set time and a set day. I guess that's hard for students with time zones and with other issues. But at least having some of those in it allows us to kind of provide some rate, sort of ongoing, forward-looking kind of routine. And that's a uh, that's sorry to cut across you, but that's uh, at my university. You know the sort of directive, and I mean, you know, it's 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 it's, a, it's a definitely a suggestion rather than a than an edict. But the idea yeah. is that we should try and replicate the times of the uh, seminars that we were having face to face for for students uh, when we're going online because uh, just to provide a sense of normalcy or a sense of routine. Yeah, absolutely. I can absolutely see the motivation in people kind of recommending that because I think we often find, as we've done before, about the acre-long day of just all this time. How do we know when to do things rather than having this? And many of us now, students to an extent, certainly stuff, will live by their kind of online calendar. They will tell them when to do what when. And without mm. that, it can be a bit kind of, we can, this is a phrase used earlier, a bit adrift. So I think that for synchronous things, we can start to mitigate some of those difficulties by having some regularity. That, as I said, has limits with um, students in different time zones, students have other responsibilities, and students for whom the world has changed vastly recently, and that's what was possible earlier in terms of days and time is no longer kind of feasible. But I think also the asynchronous learning materials that we produce can still have some regularity and routine to them. And that's why I talked about them not being excessively open, but time-bounded. And so if you give them three days to do an activity or by, by tomorrow afternoon, everybody's made a short contribution, and then say, we'll be releasing the group's different um, artifacts you all produced at this time, they'll be available afterwards. But you can have a kind of live event if you miss it. It doesn't matter that much. Go on. No, I was just, I was just kind of reflecting what you are saying about what the kind of other risks were about students... Uh, and staff feeling in this kind of context that goes on a lack of motivation, lack of kind of if starting to feel kind of aimless or pointless and things. And I think that's where the, the structure matters, but it might be about building in things that are slightly different. So you might say, okay, this is the model we're going to have most weeks. We're going to have a short synchronous lecture session or whatever, or it's live chat discussion. And then we're going to leave a discussion board up for 48 hours. Here's the reading, here are the four questions. And then the tutor is going to provide a response to everything you all said on Wednesday afternoon and you can look at it afterwards. And you could build a model like that and you could do it every week and that would provide a kind of model. But also you could try and think, build in something that it's kind of things to look forward to. And I think one thing that I think we might look forward to is lecturers at different universities, because we're all using virtual software that is largely interoperable or we can make fine versions that are, is it might be an opportunity for people getting their colleagues and friends and things to give us lectures, to give... So I'm so, saying, okay, for the next three weeks, we'll be doing it like this. But in week four, I'm getting this lecture to come in from uh, Nottingham Trent, and they're going to talk to you about this, and I'll, I'll, I'll be talking to their students. Um, so I think there might be opportunities for academics from different universities to, to work with different students. There might even be opportunities for students... Without the, without the constraint of budgets. Uh, sorry, without the constraint yeah. of budgets as well, David. Absolutely. You haven't got to put them on a train. You haven't got to put them in um, a five-star hotel like philosophers normally demand, um, <laughs> or whatever it might be. 
Absolutely. So there might be some kind of creative thoughts by thinking we can have some different things. It might be so if we were, say, doing something, something else to the, some of the philosophy you teach, that we can have a discussion session between two members of staff live, the students get to watch, but it's also recorded. Okay, um, so and it might even be different students to uh, interact with each other. Sorry. No, no, uh, just uh, so that's just there's a couple of good sort of, well, just good tips there, I think, there. So we have the. I like that the idea of the um, say like the the time bounded um, discussion forum uh, that that seems uh, that seems good. Uh, I like the idea of a, sort of the visiting lecture that would be feasible, I think. And yeah. uh, I like the idea of um, getting you know rather than say live casting an event, uh, like Ooh. I say live casting a lecture, you know live casting. Um, a tete-a-tete discussion on whatever topic uh, people are yeah. dealing with. Yeah, so, so three really good uh, tips there, I think, Dave. And I think for the last one of those, if, say, you and I were having a conversation about Heidegger or something dreadful, um, and <laughs> a student, whatever it might be, I'm not sure how much I've got to say, really. But say we were having a conversation, you would hope that your students would be part of that kind of group of people listening to that and making comments. But so are my students. So the students perhaps would use a shared chat forum while the event was live. Yeah, so say you and I were discussing, say, Heidegger, and we can have a live chat forum we put online somehow where students from both uh, my class and your class are both asking questions. And then we might even put a discussion board up for three days afterwards where they get to talk to each other. Um, so then so that's, maybe that's an opportunity for students to mix, especially if you've got small classes um, uh, and there maybe a limited number of super enthusiastic students or other ones that need you know, to create a sense of energy. You say, OK, we're now going to bring this cohort in and they, they'll have the opportunity to chat with each other, and also um, they might bring different perspectives. So it's that sense of having occasional special events on it to make it think that you've sort of, you're putting something together rather than just trying to replicate the normal curriculum so that you don't get in trouble. But actually you're thinking, okay, what students are losing something from losing having a live event where you can't read the room and adjust your material. What can we do? We can't replace that. We can bring something else in and try some different ideas. So uh, just then to talk perhaps about say something like more specifically on synchronous forms of online learning and thinking about ideas of uh, best practice surrounding that. So I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, other than a ridiculous portmanteau word, what is a webinar? Well, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting word. It's awful. An ugly word, almost ugly as feed forward. Um, the variety of the <laughs> Not that I think feed forward is a bad idea, just a horrible term. Uh, anyway, thinking about webinar, which is also kind of a, um, Grammatically ugly. What I've discovered from looking at how it's used is people use them very differently. So it's a term almost can mean whatever different companies that are selling often and wanted to mean. Often it's an online training course live, but quite often it's a broadcast piece of content with some kind of interactivity built into it. So I think, um, and I've used, I've done things I wouldn't have ever called a webinar, but actually thinking about could have been branded as such. So I've used tools I used to use at previous institutions like Adobe Connect. You could use Blackboard Collaborate now. So uh, Microsoft Teams or Skype We could business. use Microsoft Teams, absolutely. And what I found often quite effective in Collaborate and uh, Adobe Connect and some of the others, and I'm sure the functionality is similar, is to have a, if, say it's a big class, so you can't have them all on screen, but to have maybe a video and audio stream of me in the corner, just to give a sense of the humanity to it, chattering away, but also a chat window open that everybody's in, and a kind of a whiteboard that might have PowerPoint on it. There might be a, a shared whiteboard that everyone can kind of comment on, or a, a space. If it's um, if it's a scientific experiment, it might be a short piece of video or PowerPoint that takes you through the steps. 
So I think those kind of synchronous events are quite nice because, yes, you get the benefit of someone talking. You can all put their headphones on. They can listen to me saying, right, we're all here. Let, we're gonna, today we're going to dissect Patrick's kidney, whatever, in this, in this box. And right before we start, I'd like you all to kind of say what you think the major problem, the biggest risk is going to be in carrying out this experiment and what do you think. Uh, and so you can have a kind of live chat and give to all of that. And then you can go back to the video where you're addressing them all for a couple of minutes. You can suspend the chat box or whatever. And then you can say, right, now we're going to watch this short piece of video on the main screen. I want you all to make some notes on bits of paper of X, Y, or Z and get them ready to type in the chat box afterwards. Uh, and you can set tasks in the PowerPoint, whatever it is. So I think those kind of events where you they're a kind of mixed media approach and most of the tools allow that i mean so that's a face-to-face a face as well isn't it david i mean yeah, that's face-to-face that's, that's teaching you, is, is, you need you need a diversity of media and a diverse my, my friend always says to me that we often think too much of a sort of a class whatever form yeah. it takes as one continuous thing but it's 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 usually quite broken up into beginning middle and end and different sections also, in between absolutely i think if you read if you, if you have that kind of epiphany about face-to-face teaching is much easier to reimagine it in an online. So I think, yeah, so if thinking of a lecture that I might give, even a traditional style lecture, it's quite often broken. There'll be an introductory bit where it's quite interactive, where I'm asking people whether they've done the reading, how they are, back and forward. They'll be quite informal, and I'll be wondering about a bit, and students may or may not be interacting with me. Uh, and then I'll switch. It'll be quite different in terms of tone and approach. I'll be using the board, or I might be using the the visualizer or um, with a book on it or something. So it'll be broken and they'll all be looking at that, not me. So a face-to-face class will be broken up into all sorts of elements, you're right. And the media won't just be me and my my kind of like show of personality standing on the front of the stage waving at them the whole time. And I'll be using I'll be using the board, I'll be using books, I'll be using quotes on a PowerPoint slide. So thinking about that, thinking how you segment a um, face-to-face session into such things, what easily translates into the kind of uh, synchronous webinar type content as well. Okay, so so for you then, Dave, what would be what what has just worked for you? I guess would be a good way of thinking about this in terms of segmenting uh, an online uh, seminar delivered by Microsoft Teams or Skype for Business or whatever. I've tended when I've done to tend to do that kind of online synchronous teaching to do slightly more planning than I would normally do for a face to face class, and in terms of planning the structure. And um, you know, I'm not sure. I still really believe that preparations for amateurs in the way that I practiced it when I started teaching. Something will come to me when I um, stand there. <laughs> uh, but, so you might do some preparation for a face-to-face class, but that might, a lot of that might be about the content. About well, I'm not sure I still believe this idea that I used to talk about in relation to being, it might be. I have a series of quotes. Uh, but I, so I tend to think that in, in that kind of session, we talk about a synchronous webinar-type context, I'll probably do slightly more planning. I might even have some notes jotted down on a bit of paper and say, okay, this is going to be 50 minutes. I want to do five minutes of this, then we do this for 10 minutes. So I've got almost like we've, you know, a lesson plan. And that will help me keep my timings throughout it and say, okay, after five minutes, I'm going to show them the three quotes. Then we're going to switch the chat box and we're going to spend 10 minutes. Some tools allow you to put big groups into smaller groups, like subgroups. Yeah. And the various ways you achieve that. Um, so you might say, right, and then we're going to put them into these three subgroups and discuss the three quotes, and they're going to prepare a paragraph each to show the others on the, and they're going to all email it to me, and I'll integrate it with the PowerPoint and stick it on there at the kind of 25 minutes point. And then we're going to give them all a chance to read each other's quotes while they also go and make a cup of tea. So we're going to have a five minute kind of, five, seven minutes kind of break, stroke, catch up to where we all are. And then it will enable their audio and ask them what to say what they think or whatever it might be, or to, depending on the size of the class. So I would say for a session like that, I would hope to really segment it into a number of pieces and then have some kind of culmination at the end. 
So they will drift off. That combination maybe sort of my reflections on the work they've done and try and summarise some of that. And then with a, I might switch from more broadcast mode for the last 10 minutes where I, I will sort of talk about. But also we'll tell them what's coming next that I hope look forward to seeing the next Wednesday at whatever time it is and previewing the next session and telling them what to be doing in the meantime. Saying, right, now you need to go back and look at the virtual learning environment, get back on Moodle. And you'll see I'll put some tasks on for you. And I think the interesting thing about asynchronous learning and tasks is that you may still want to have a sense of time by revealing them only at certain periods. You can do that. You can preset all that with Moodle, or you can just add them yourself at a set time. So you might say, well, the materials for next week's class will be released tomorrow morning at night. I'm not sure that introduces a massive sense of theatre and drama to the course. <laughs> but um, uh, depending on how amazing your materials are. But at least there's a kind of sense of pace and regularity again. So you know, each week's classes, the Thursday at night is when the materials are released. And then you can start if you want to. Um, so I think a session that's split in those kind of ways gives students a sense of what's going on and not just feeling like they're staring at the screen while you while you write bang on about something. And then how do you deal with, how does a staff member deal with, say, something like, you know, you know, behavioural issues or trying to keep everybody on, 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 on point to see if everybody's paying attention? I presume, as you've already alluded, that would be more difficult in the, like the webinar format. Yeah, it is, because you're doing it live and you're trying to kind of, um, and often mm. for staff, it's not something they're used to doing. Most tools will allow you to open a private chat message with the student at any one time. So you get to the student who was just dominating the discussion. Um, Tone it down constantly. a bit, yeah. Yeah, just for us to say, your contributions are amazing. It's really good. But some of the other students are a bit slower than you. Not a bit slow. We wouldn't use that phrase. But some of the other students um, are kind of a bit more reticent to speak. So can you kind of... Uh, Hold your comments back for 30 seconds at the start of each one of the questions or whatever it might be. Technically, of course, you can block people to, to often from periods of time. You can say, kick, kick Patrick out of the room for half an hour. Pretty more drastic step. But it is, the solutions might be there and we might be able to get quite good at using them and quite subtle and nuanced at trying to having a word with students. But we won't be like that straight away. Many of us who have taught for a long time will be able to handle situations in class like that because we're really experienced. We've learned how to do it over like decades, and it's really hard. So I think we can't expect the staff to learn how to do that in an online context overnight. Uh, so I would hope that staff would be would get some guidance from their universities or from their, their the kind of learning teaching staff from their universities, uh, and also would feel they can go and ask somebody. So I'm having, I've set this up like what you recommended I do, but actually I'm finding two students just use a chat box to flirt and argue, whatever it might be, and everybody else feels it's kind of weird and has got a. What, what do I do about it? So not so unlike face to face teaching then. <laughs> well, yeah, but you know what to do about it in face to face teaching. You'd give them a you'd give them a look. Don't look, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure you've got one at your disposal. Um uh, <laughs> but it's harder to give people the look online, especially because it's hard looking at a kind of webcam screen anyway for many people because they, they don't know what to do with their eyes and they can see themselves and they can start to freak out and things, not surprisingly. So I think we where we know what to do about those situations, I think face to face, we might well do. Um, we've got to learn all that anew online so i think we need to be relatively kind of patient with ourselves and think my teaching is not rubbish just because i didn't deal with that thing perfectly i'm learning new things all the time and actually we'll get there with things like that and tools allow us to it's just going to take a while i think universities would, must also think that this must be really aware of just how new this is to all their staff and they extend quite a lot of kind of patience to their staff thinking it's not them being at home isn't them working less hard just because they're not on campus scurrying about doesn't mean that the fact that they're able to sit in their kitchens with cups of tea while they're teaching isn't working up because it's incredibly taxing. 
most almost everybody I've met in university lecturing is really really wants to do a good job. No one wants to be rubbish at teaching. Everyone really wants to make wants to do a really good job for their students. And people, are, you know, I can talk to people kind of online and kind of colleagues, and they're working really hard to make these sessions good. So I think universities have to kind of think that although it might seem that people are kind of having an enforced holiday in their own homes or whatever, people are anxious and stressed and it's a difficult time. And they're really, really working hard to make this good for their students. So there needs to be kind of an appreciation of that on behalf of universities and there's some kind of decency in the to staff and there's attempts to make student learning carry on happening, even with everything that's going on. Okay, so is there anything else you think we, you'd like to add about this, uh, given the, so many colleagues are grappling with this and we're in a new, very, very unprecedented uh, situation? It's, 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 we're in a crisis, basically a global pandemic right now uh, is there anything else we should be thinking about i think for, for university teaching staff i think we need to as, as i was say my university extending a certain amount of consideration towards their staff we need to also extend that towards our students and some of our students will have anxieties and pressures and worries about this pandemic that we don't know about and quite within their rights not to tell us so if some students don't seem as interested in normal in my really exciting ideas about the study of early buddhism that might be because they're worried about some really, really urgent, pressing things there. So I need to kind of slightly perhaps dial back on my um, impatience towards students not having the motivation that I think they ought to have. Um, and I think that's also with, with colleagues. You know, if colleagues aren't getting back by email or on things as promptly as I might have come to expect them to, that might be because they're dealing with a huge problem because they're trying to sort things out for elderly relatives. They've got so I think it's childcare. Absolutely, their children are at school and more, or they're kind of having to negotiate all kinds of things they put in place to make their lives work that actually turn out to be quite fragile and precarious. So I think when that kind of extending a level of kind of kindness and compassion to colleagues and students is going to be hugely important and allow us to kind of carry on the, the business of learning with students effectively, but not in such a way that kind of. Uh, makes people feel excluded if they can't give their all to it. And they'll, you know, the, actually, students will hopefully give what they can to it, just a staff role. I suppose crises and, and threat emergencies, they draw us together a little bit as well. I think, uh, I th- I think I've certainly uh, noticed that in my institution, there's a... Um, because we're all doing something new all of a sudden, there's a there's a bit more esprit de corps all of a sudden, I think, and it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think staff are all finding themselves in the same boat in separate houses, but we're on the same kind of uh, metaphorical plate of trying to work out how to do this stuff together. And so I think that that is allows for a certain amount of equalisation amongst people where none of them feel like they're the super expert. I mean, everyone's kind of struggling, everyone's trying to find a way. And I've certainly seen lots of emails flashing around between groups of people saying, hey, I just discovered this new thing you can do on Teams or whatever it might be. That, that button that I've never pressed. So I think staff are kind of finding that absolutely. Uh, and I hope some of that um, transmits itself to students as well. The sense, look, we know things are really hard for you. Um, we know things are really difficult. We're doing our best to give you a really interesting experience, do something really exciting for you, especially for some people who can't tear themselves away from social media and rolling news that many of us find it hard to do. There's a chance to come and spend a couple of hours with a tutor getting excited about Greek philosophy or whatever it might be. That is a real gift to them as well, not just for the educational purposes, but for the terms in terms of break from that sense of constant disease and anxiety that things like rolling news mainline into us. Okay, Dave, uh, Dave Webster, thanks for helping us uh, teach through the apocalypse. That's good. I'm sure, I'm sure we get back post-apocalypse. We'll have a whole new range of teaching issues to face. Okay, thank you, Dave. All right, pleasure.